Welcome to the 4th Down Experience, the podcast devoted to special teams. Your host of the 4th Down Experience, former pro free agent, nine-year professional kicking coach out of the Midwest, Coach Chris Hughesby. Alongside Coach Chris Hughesby is a former two-time Arena Bowl champ, nine-year pro kicking coach, rep in the South, Coach Brian Jackson. Welcome, guys. It's Brian Jackson with Fourth Down Experience Podcast, along with Christopher Hughesby. We're excited, guys, because we have Alex Probert here on 4D Nation Podcast, and he is a grad transfer uh, from Liberty uh, to Iowa State. Welcome to the show, Alex. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Alex, for being on. We're excited to hear about your experience and share it with others who might be inquiring and wondering what the process is like as a graduate transfer. So thank you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so guys, we just kind of wanted to get um, Alex in the podcast uh, real quick and, and talk about three or four different items. Uh, we're definitely going to have him on in the future because um, he has a, a lot of good insight as a, as a young person in the specialist world, uh, among other things that, that he is talented in. Um, so Alex, kind of just talk, kind of give like a synopsis of the last three to four years uh, of your situation and, and where you're at now. Sure. Yeah. So one of the fun things I actually like to talk about is I've played at both levels of Division One. Um, so I started college at Liberty University playing FCS football. And we were in the Big South Conference uh, for those first two seasons. I was fortunate enough to have a conference title that first year. And I think we split the title the second year. So that was a fun experience. And kind of about the end of our sophomore season in the off season, right when we were kind of going into winter training, that's when we found out we'd be transitioning to the FBS level. And so I was actually fortunate enough to play a full season in that transition year, kicking it off at Baylor, having that super fun win. And then kind of from there, we started to move into our next season, which was this last year. Um, and that was when we finally made the full move to FBS, playing a full FBS schedule. Um, and just, you know, the minimum amount of FBS teams you have to have on the schedule for that to be considered as such. So we got to play some big teams, um, kind of traveling all over. Got to go all the way to New Mexico from Virginia. It was pretty fun. Um, and actually got to play in a bowl game and bring on the first bowl game win history. The first game ever played at Liberty. We actually won. Um, and got to bring that home as kind of some history. So I've been fortunate enough to play at both levels, have some fun experiences, played against some small teams in Division One, and also played against the biggest Power Five teams in Division One. Um, so it's been really fun ride so far, um, and now I'm kind of transitioning to that next level um, at Iowa State coming up here this next season. Nice. So let's talk about the graduate transfer process and what that's like. And to refresh everybody's memories, just the basics here is you have to complete your bachelor's degree in order to be eligible to be a grad transfer. So I guess we'll kind of talk chronologically with that. What was your thought process like for thinking about the idea of transferring? Yeah, so it's it's actually a very long situation. So the initial thought, and this is, I'll, I'll kind of give you some background information on what first brought the idea to my mind of why I would transfer or ever thinking of transferring. And then also kind of how that morphed over time to me actually taking the action and getting into the portal. So around my sophomore season, you know, I had an injury right at the end, kind of in the off season before my junior year. And that's when I kind of touched base with the current coaching staff about future plans. Cause at that time they had offered a kid to come in, kind of learn under me and take over the reins, you know, after I was done. Um, that's what happens most throughout college football. If they can recruit a guy out of high school who can play four years, they'll find his replacement for a redshirt season under them. 
you know, hopefully the older guy can teach the younger guy to come in, you know, and take over, you know, ideally that's how it would work. Obviously life happens, things change. Um, so when I was injured, I talked to that staff and the plan was actually kind of a little bit different than I'd expected. I had kind of had this feeling after two years in Virginia, uh, that's 20 hours away from where I was originally from in Minnesota. It kind of came up where I was talking to my staff during my injury, where I just kind of said, you know, Hey, I don't want to put you in a bind with scholarships. You know, how do you feel about me transferring? you know, when this kid comes in, because that way you don't have two kickers on scholarship, um, which is kind of unheard of unless you're splitting duties. You know, some schools have a field goal guy, a kickoff guy. Sometimes it's split up that way. So I talked to them about that. And the plan was, unless we were going to go to a bowl game on our first year that we were eligible, I was just going to transfer. They were okay with that. You know, I bounced the idea off that with them. Um, But then after that year, the coaching staff ended up changing. We had a new head coach come in. Uh, the team dynamic changed, you know, and that kind of unsaid verbal agreement or idea of a plan that we had kind of went away, you know, and I decided to stick it out. And it wasn't that I didn't have a deal to hold my end of. It was just one of those things where I just said, you know, hey, I think I'm going to stay on. You know, I'm going to finish my career here at Liberty with this new coaching staff um, and just kind of, you know, battle it out, whether that scholarship becomes a problem or not. You know, I'll just leave that up to the new staff. And so obviously they came in knowing that situation that they had offered a kid out of high school before they got there. So that situation was still there kind of when they came in. So I stuck it out this next season, played under the coaching staff, had a really fun time. You know, we won the bowl game, had a great season, able to make just history, you know, really just fun times. Um, And as the end of the season kind of came up and, you know, when a break hit, you know, I found myself still kind of asking myself that question. You know, it's my last season that's coming up. You know, I'm going to be battling it out for this kid with scholarship and this this roster coming up for this next season. And I have confidence in myself to do my diligence and my hard work. Um, But it came down to just my love of being around my family and just being close to home. And so I had a lot of phone conversations during the entire season. Um, Obviously I had no, no motivation to leave in the middle of the season. You know, I didn't want to do that to the team I was on. So I was, I was a hundred percent bought in. Um, But once the season was done and we had kind of really achieved the highest amount that we could achieve that year, I just kind of confronted that reality, which was, man, I miss my family. You know, I'm far from home. It's been three years, you know, going on the fourth year would have been that over the period of four years, I've been in Minnesota for less than four months total, which is crazy to me to think about. Cause that's really hard. You know, siblings, grandparents, you know, my friends and family that I grew up with had only seen me for a total of, you know, three and a half months up until that point. And it was just really weighing heavy on me. So at that point, I made a lot of phone calls to my parents, you know, just kind of talked to them about that, you know, asking them what they thought about that. You know, I consulted a lot of my mentors, too, and my previous coaches. You know, I just asked them, you know, the guys that weren't coaching anymore because I was allowed to talk to them. I just said, hey, you know, what do you think about this? And so ultimately it came down to just wanting to be close to home. Um, And from that point, I just knew it was the right decision for me. Um, So that's when I kind of started to bring it to my coaches, you know, let them know what I was thinking. um, And they just kind of just told me, you know, you got to do what's best for you. You know, ultimately family lasts forever. You know, football doesn't. You know, so it was one of those things where I just had to make that decision of where my heart was. Um, and at that point, I had graduated. I had my degree. Um, and I had done everything that I could have, um, you know, that I signed on to back in 2016. So at that point, I made that decision to kind of go into the portal and, you know, explore those options if there were any. So, Alex, just to clarify some things, because I still think it's a little vague, not on your end, just in general for folks, um, including ourselves. If you're planning to graduate, if it's January and you're planning to graduate in May and you put yourself in the portal, but you still have to graduate in May and then transfer in the summer or in August, are you allowed to do that? 
I think so. It, it really comes down to your scholarship too. You know, so let's say you're on full ride in the fall, uh, but you graduate in the spring, you know, you're going to have to talk to your coaches about that because if you don't talk to them about that, but then you decide to just sit out a spring ball and you've signed that scholarship contract, you know, it really just comes down to communication. I think what you're asking is okay. I think you're allowed to do that, but it really just comes down to you need to let your coaches know what your plans are ahead of time so that you don't, you know, one of the things my coaches talked to me about was, Hey, have you cleared this with compliance? Cause if you don't do that, you could probably find yourself without scholarship. You know, if you happen to be on full ride and then decide to do that. Um, Cause right now, you know, I'm still on scholarship. I'm just not at Liberty. Obviously with the coronavirus, everything's shut down anyway. Um, so I'm still taking classes at my previous university with my scholarship. Um, but I just communicated that early on so that they kind of knew, you know, going forward. And speaking on that, um, because I've heard on both ends of the spectrum from guys, what what's the tone? What what's the what's the feelings like when when you're having to go talk to a coach and, and inform them that you're leaving to another school? Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's really just about honesty. You know, if you're if you're clear in your intentions and what you're doing, you know, at the end of the day, the NCAA has done a good job of giving the power back to athletes. You know, way back when, before my time in college athletics, you know, schools could block transfers and things of that nature. And so it really comes down to the way that you handle the situation. For me, it was really just my love of my family, you know, and I had taken care of everything, you know, classroom, on the field. You know, I didn't get in trouble or anything of that nature. So for me, I had already built up. I would like to think a good reputation as far as, you know, I'm not just going to do something out of nowhere, you know. So when, when I brought that to them, it was definitely hard. You know, because I had bought into that program, gave it everything for the time that I was there, um, you know, with friendships and the relationships you build up. You know, it's always going to be difficult to say that you're leaving or thinking about leaving. Um, but it really just depends on the situation. I think if you handle it well, you're very communicative with everything you're doing. Um, you know, and obviously everybody's going to have their own reason for maybe why they want to transfer. I think if you have the right reason, no coach is going to hate you or get upset with you. Um, so for me, I, I had a good situation. I was able to go through it without any kind of bad blood per se. You know, it was, it was hard, you know, just having to say goodbye, you know, and I joked with one of my coaches, I said, you know, I wish we didn't get along so well because it'd be easier to leave, you know, but it was just one of those things where you got a good relationship and you decide to leave. It's, it's hard, you know, no matter what it is, and, you know, it, it depends on how you carry the situation, I would say. Yeah. And I remember Alex talking about it with you during this time frame you know, as you were trying to prepare for this, did you ever talk to the coach about staying there if you couldn't find the right fit? And if so, how did that conversation go? Yeah, so, you know, they had offered me a couple options for me to, you know, make it work, but I just ultimately decided it was best for me to be home for the long term. Um, so one of the things I did say was, you know, if I enter the transfer portal and no opportunity comes up, you know, no school wants me to come play. You know, while I may have not believed that to be the reality, you know, it's always possible that no school recruits you. That's that's just the nature of college athletics. You know, I said, if nothing comes up, you know, if I go home, you know, I would gladly come back as a walk-on. You know, I wouldn't come back and say, hey, give me a scholarship, I'm coming back. You know, so I just told them, you know, if it's possible that nothing comes up, I would gladly come back as a walk-on, you know, compete for any spot that might be there you know, if that decides to be, you know, something that I would like to pursue, you know, so that was one thing I offered, but it was one of those just, you know, you just never know. So Alex, say, talk about your skill sets. What are you skillful in, in the three um, categories of kicking and punting? Yeah. So <laughs> I've never been much of a punter. I'm not, you know, a lot of guys will talk about tall punters or the best at punting. I'm five, seven, just so for anybody listening to kind of get of an idea of what I am or who I am. 
I'm 5'7". I weigh about 180 pounds. I've been a true kickoff field goal guy my entire career. I handled all of the duties in high school. You know, I was the punter just because I put the most work into it, so I could outpunt the other guys back then. Uh, but going into college, I really just wanted to focus on the place kicking duties. Kickoffs have definitely been the thing that separated me. You know, through high school recruiting, I could always kind of be the top kickoff guy. Uh, but field goals have always been, you know, my other thing. So I've always handled both the duties for place kicking. Uh, but my my opus, as I like to joke about, is definitely kickoffs. What's an ideal kickoff for you? Talking hang time or distance, or what do you mean? Yeah, I mean, like, what, what's a what's a B plus and what's an A minus to you in a game with uh, maybe a five mile an hour swirling wind? Nothing, nothing too drastic. Yeah, so it comes down to coaching staff first. If my coach comes out and he says, "All right, I want you to pin it on pin it on the one with the highest hang time you can get," you know, you'll be looking for anywhere from a four one to hopefully four three. Four three is definitely going to be at the end of the spectrum. That's that's a really perfect ball. That'd be an A plus ball for me as a four three hang time you know, five deep or more would be my A plus, you know, if a coach just says, Hey, boot it out of the back of the end zone, you know, Michael is going to be okay. Back of the end zone minimum for distance. And then hang time is going to be anywhere from a three, nine to, you know, a four, two, five. It just really depends on the wind and the environment. Nice. So what was your experience like entering the portal? How quickly did it turn around? And then once you were live in the portal, what were the kind of the general conversation pieces that coaches talk to you about or kind of questions they asked that you learned from to try to figure out what school was the right fit? Yeah. So the portal actually happened pretty quickly. I was fortunate enough, you know, I had a compliance staff at Liberty that just did a stand up job. You know, they did a great job helping me through that process. I was actually able to get in the portal the same day that I had asked them about it. Um, and that just had to do with them working really hard to get that passed through to the NCAA and get it signed by the parties that had to sign it. So I had entered on a Monday at about 10 a.m. I put the paperwork through and I was cleared by about 1 p.m. or 2 p.m. that same day. I don't think that's everybody's experience. Some days, I think some guys have said it's taken up to two days. That's the maximum that schools are allowed to put it through. I think they have to do it within 48 hours once you notify them. So it happened quick. Uh, the one thing I was not prepared for was the digital age aspect, which is Twitter um, and just it getting on social media. Um, this comes to kind of what we touched on before with talking to coaches and, you know, the sentiment of the whole process of, you know, how did it go? How did people feel about it? I had told them, you know, I'm not going to put this on social media because my goal wasn't, okay, I'm transferring everybody to come recruit me again. It was, Hey, this is something I want to pursue. You know, I'm kind of, I'm going to do this in the background because I didn't want it to look like, okay, where's my next big step. It was just going to be, okay, let's pursue this, you know, let's see what opportunities might come up um, closer to home, ideally, and, you know, we'll go from there. And within about, I would say an hour after I got the email from the transfer portal, it was on Twitter. Um, it was actually a Reddit thread and then a few other social media accounts picked it up. And that kind of frustrated me a little bit because I was actually probably going to wait a couple weeks before even putting anything on social media, which in hindsight, probably wasn't very accurate for me to think, you know, it's a digital age. Someone's going to find out at some point, um, but it happened quick. Nice. So then what were the conversations like with colleges? So if they saw your name in the portal and they reached out to you, what kind of questions did they ask of you and, and how do those conversations typically go holistically? Yeah. So, I mean, college athletics at the end of the day is a business. And so you have to handle it as such. Now, the difference is it's not just a business, it's transactional relationship. So it's not going to be, okay, you give me this, I get this, you get that. It's going to be, hey, you know, we'd love to get to know you. 
what's your story? You know, things that were asked of me. Why are you transferring? Okay, what are you looking for? Okay, okay, here, I'm a college reaching out to you, Alex. Here's what we're kind of looking for to fill. Here's the timeline for that. Does that seem like something you'd want to look at? You know, conversations, just kind of intro conversations are really the biggest thing. Asking me why I wanted to transfer, you know, you know, the basic questions, are you taking care of your grades? You know, is anything else going on that's causing this? Or do you just want to look for another opportunity? What's your goals now moving into your last season? Really, at the end of the day, I just chalk it up as helping a team win games. That was my thing that I told coaches um, during the process was I'm just looking for a team that's closer to home that I can come in, work hard, and just help you win football games. At the end of the day, I think as a specialist, that's the best thing you can do. You know, either kick a touchback to eliminate a possible return, make an extra point to tie the game up, or just kick a field goal to take the lead. You know, anything I can do to help a team win games, whether that's workouts in the offseason, you know, working with other guys, you know, whatever I can do to help a team win. Personally, for me, I try not to chalk it up as, okay, I'm going to be perfect this season, or I'm going to have 100% touchbacks. I think it's really good to have goals and to stress yourself to go above and beyond what you might, you know, be capable of doing. Because I think if you're not dreaming big, you're not dreaming at all. You're just setting a standard that's achievable, you know, to feel good. So I, I think that it's good to set, you know, big goals. I would love to be above 80% touchbacks. You know, the next season, you know, at my best in my preparation, I would love to be perfect on field goals and extra points. That's always the goal. Um, you know, I'm not going to shy away from the fact that that's what I'm aiming for. That's always been my aim. Um, but definitely just putting the team in a good spot to win games at the end of the day, really. Nice. All right, before we get to the flagship question here, uh, I'm just curious. You were a starter right away as a freshman. How did you handle the pressure mentally, maybe social media? I just want to teach kids a little bit more about what the pressure might feel like trying to kick at a division one level. Yeah, it's, it's one of my fun things I like to talk about was my first college game. So in high school, I went to a pretty small high school compared to some of the schools that, you know, teammates that I've met over the years have had crowds of 20,000 at their high school games. The biggest crowd I probably played in front of in high school is maybe 5,000 people at a state quarterfinal game. I think you were actually at one of those way back when Chris, Yeah, I think it was, I was. about 5,000 people. My first Division One college football game, keep in mind I was playing at an FCS school at the time. You know, you're not going to have all these big FCS games. My first college game at an FCS school was in front of 62,000 people at Virginia Tech. So I was going from 5,000 to 62,000, you know, and I, I didn't know how to prepare for that. You know, so what my team actually helped me with is at the end of practice, you know, my first year in college, the entire team would gather around and just scream their heads off, you know, throw water bottles on me, all that stuff. The pressure's big. It's it's a whole different stage. At the end of the day, I think if you just focus on your process, you know, when I was jogging out onto the field my freshman year, I would just remind myself the little tiny things. Eyes down, you know, take my steps as exact as I could, focus on my process. You know, the day one things that I was taught in eighth grade when I first started kicking. And the crowd's going to be there. The noise is going to be there. You're never going to fully be able to just erase that noise or that pressure, but you can have fun and you can thrive in it or you can let it crumble you. So at the end of the day, my advice that I give younger guys is just focus on your process. You know, focus on what you can control. You can't control the crowd noise. You can't control the grass or the turf, but you can control how you respond to that. 
I kind of just tone it out now at this point in my career. It's just kind of a noise in the background. Um, but the way that I attribute being able to do that is I had Bluetooth headphones in high school and my first year of college. And I found this booing soundtrack on YouTube <laughs> and I would just blare it in these Bluetooth headphones. They were power beats or something. So they were in ear earbuds. So the only thing I could hear when I was kicking was this blaring soundtrack. And so I would just take my phone with me. It was like a 10 minute video. I just repeat it and I would just kick field goals or I would start on the sideline blaring the stuff in my headphones, jog out to the field and act like it was a game winner or it was like a 30 yard field goal at Virginia Tech. And I did that for like weeks and weeks. And then finally I came up to it, you know, and no matter how much you prepare for it, you're going to be nervous. And so I remember the first time in college football, I was starting, I was really fortunate to have the opportunity. If you know anything about Virginia Tech, their intro to the game is enter Sandman. And that entire stadium just blows up. So that caught me off guard a little bit. Um, but after the first kick, you know, those training protocols, you know, with my team surrounding me screaming and the Bluetooth training, all of that kind of just came back to my head like, okay, I'm, I'm ready for this. Um, let's do it. Let's go get it. Um, but it really just comes down to preparation, you know, and just believing in yourself at the end of the day, you know, as best you can. That's really all it is. Nice. Absolutely. Well, my last question for you, Alex, before Chris has the final one after that is, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I feel for the, the shorter kickers, I'm five, seven as well. And, um, so, you know, I'm a little more stocky than you, but, uh, what's been really fun to, to see you on a social media and, and just your flavor and your interactions and, and what you, what your thought process is. And, and so two, two things here, first, let the folks know your social media media handles. And the second thing is, um, maybe just talk about what you've been doing during the quarantine with the coronavirus and, and staying in shape and, and just being prepared. Yeah, it's, it's definitely uncharted waters for all of us, you know, and I, I can't stress enough as everybody else not to beat a dead horse, but, you know, be safe. If you don't have to go out in public, don't do it. You know, I've been cooped up at home quite a bit. Um, I've been working on online homework, um, and if I just need to get out of the house, I've started running. You know, I'm, <laughs> the joke about kickers, you know, and you guys will agree with this, is we don't like to run. We run on the field, we run off the field, that's it. You know, we don't got to do much, too much running. Um, but I've just kind of just started running a little bit more often and doing a lot of body weight workouts because, you know, my gyms are all closed up here in Minnesota. I don't have a huge home gym. So I've just been doing the best that I can to stay in shape and eating well, things of that nature. But, you know, I'm not going out in public super often. I, I'm fortunate enough to have a field that I can go kick on every once in a while. Um, but just self-isolating if I can, not trying to go out in public places and be around stuff if I don't have to. And it's not just because of my safety. I don't want to get other people sick too. Um, but it's it's different. So pick one, one thing that I'll say, it's the biggest helpful tip that I've seen so far, and it was on Twitter the other day. Pick out a daily routine if you can, you know, what you're going to do in the morning, midday, in the afternoon. Because most of us, if you're not working a full-time job, if you're a student like me, whether it's high school or college, don't stay in bed all day. You know, don't sleep in till noon. Don't stay up till 3 a.m. You know, keep your schedule as close as you can. Number one, that'll help time pass a little bit quicker. You know, when we're all cooped up at home, have a daily schedule. You know, know what you're going to do beforehand. And then just kind of plan that out for the week. So for me, I, I was really shocked at the beginning of this. I just felt super lazy. I kind of hit a little bit of a rut, honestly. You know, I got really lazy. You know, I was not doing my laundry as often as I should. And so I just kind of ironed out a process, you know, my mornings, you know, lunchtime in the afternoons, you know, and just figuring out something to do because I think that's the biggest thing is staying productive through all of it. Nice. 
All right. Well, want to get you our flagship question. It's a question we ask everybody. So far in your collegiate career, tell us about your five favorite stadium experiences or five favorite stadiums to play in. Yeah, so Virginia Tech was that first one. You know, that's always going to be a big memory uh, just because that was my first college game. Probably my favorite one was SMU or Baylor. Um, I guess I won't say favorite, but SMU was such a cool atmosphere to go down there. It was like, it felt like it was 150 degrees outside. You could feel the thickness of the air. So that was fun to get down there and play in some warm air. Baylor was a huge, fun atmosphere as well. That stadium was packed out down in Waco, Texas. You know, we've got UVA that we played at, but my favorite one is probably this last season at Exploria Stadium uh, for the bowl game when we went down to Orlando. It was pouring down rain half the game, but it was a bowl game. We were in a soccer stadium, I think is what it was. Um, and it was just really fun. So I, I definitely like Exploria Stadium probably as my favorite. Nice. Well, awesome, Alex. Uh, Brian and I were super stoked that you could get on for the podcast. You know, from a personal standpoint, it's amazing to watch your journey. You were one of the youngest trainees that I had when I started out. I think we started out in seventh grade. And you're often an example that I give to kids about a guy that just pays attention to the details and really works hard to perfect your craft. So keep doing it. You're a good mentor for the young kids as well. So keep it up. And we're super excited to watch your next season at Iowa State. Yeah, I appreciate that very much. Hey, Alex, uh, before you you get off here, um, let the folks know where to follow you at on on Twitter, Instagram, etc. Oh yeah. Um, if you just look up my name on Twitter or Instagram, it's Alexander Probert. I think my Twitter handle is the Alex Probert. I'm not hundred percent sure. Uh, my Instagram is Alexander Probert. Um, I do have a YouTube channel. I don't really put that out there too much. Um, just for the NCAA sake, I don't make money off of any of my social media. I uh, just do it for fun. So I've got some training videos on there and just some videos about what it's like to be a college football player. That's just under my name as well, Alexander Probert. But uh, yeah, my, my social media game's not the strongest, but that's where you can find my stuff. Yeah, I, I think it's great, actually. So you young kickers, make sure you guys follow Alex and hit him up with any questions. Um, thanks so much for being on, man, and best of luck this season. Perfect. Thank you, guys. Yep, thanks, Alex. Have a good one. Thanks. All right, that was fun. I enjoyed that one, Brian. Yeah, Alex is great, man. Uh, good young mentor for, for all the high school guys and even uh, young college guys to, to make sure to follow on social media, uh, the Alex Probert on Twitter, and also his YouTube. Check out some of his, of his videos. Um, he does a great job uh, portraying uh, some things that you guys need to be doing at the high school and, and college levels. Yeah, another thing to spin off that in terms of following his journey on social media like I had mentioned before in the interview, a lot of times I have used videos of him from our training sessions for training purposes in, in film review. So if you want an example of somebody that has a real good style kicking-wise, and, and you know whether it's field goals or kickoffs, he's a good example to follow. So, All right, everyone. Uh, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, we're going to have a lot of interviews coming up here over this corona dead period, if you want to call it that. So stay tuned. We have some fun ones lined up. Thanks, guys. Welcome to the Fourth Down Experience podcast. We are an international podcast devoted to discussing special teams topics and interviewing some of the biggest special teams names in the NFL and beyond. Established in 2017, we have enjoyed giving back to the special teams community by discussing current events, offering free tips, and interviewing and sharing the journey of professional specialists and coaches in the football world.
We offer a free podcast to you all done in our own time. It is our goal and hope that you become a better specialist because of or find enjoyment in our content. If our program is benefiting you and you're looking for a way to support what we do, please consider becoming a patron and support us. Thank you, and we hope to continue helping you and bring you something enjoyable to listen to. 4DE Nation. Thank you for listening to the 4th Down Experience. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 4th Down Experience.